Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 178. And my guest this week is Jason Green of the highly influential punk screamo hardcore, however you define them, band Orchid. I'd never met Jason before, but I've had the pleasure of spending time with Orchid's guitar player, Will Killingsworth, uh, bassist Jeff Garlock over the years. So I was a little nervous because the angst attitude and altogether contrarian nature of uh, Jason's output, whether it's Orchid, Panthers, Ritual Mess, Violent Bullshit, um, you, uh, you never know what you're going to get. If they're going to be kind, if they're going to be warm, if they're going to be chatty, if they're going to be... Uh, hard to talk to, but he was uh, he was wonderful. And this was a really awesome chat. It was really exciting to actually be able to be the nerd self that I was and ask him a lot of questions that me as a fan would uh, would have always wanted to ask him. And hey, speaking of fans asking questions, if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, you could also find the link in the episode description. Uh, there's a bonus episode where Jason answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that plus tons of other stuff. Uh, find the right subscription amount to also be able to submit questions to upcoming guests. Um, or if you just want a back catalog of all the stuff we've been doing there, three bucks is the way to go. There's a discord channel. We're doing all sorts of fun stuff. It helps support the show and it means a lot. Um, also, if you want to support the show by subscribing to it on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to it, leaving a positive rating and review, that is also an incredibly kind way to help support. And uh, it's very appreciated. Um, Orchid has some reunion shows. Most of them are sold out. I believe January 9th in New York City still has some tickets available. They sold out the two other nights there. And also they're playing in June in Toronto. I believe it's June 1st. So tickets are available for that as well. Um, but without further ado, here's my conversation with the only man I know who, when he dies, 1,000 birds will fly out of his mouth. It's Jason Green. What's up, Jason? It's so nice to meet you. How are you today? I'm great, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, uh... I've been looking forward to asking you to do this for a really long time. Often uh, the motivator is, you know, maybe this person that I'm a fan of um, something gets announced that they're doing and 
you know, it's like, okay, that's the time. That's the time to do it. Um, obviously these orchid shows got announced. I'm sure people started barking up your tree pretty quickly about doing things like this. So um, I'm just another one of those people. So I'm excited. How are you feeling today about all of that? Has this been like an overwhelming like response? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a funny, the, the way it all kind of came together is, is, a, is a bit funny where I, I just had relocated to Toronto from Brooklyn uh, after living in Brooklyn for about 25 years. And, um, you know, I, I was, had no job up there, had no friends kind of like cut off from everything. Um, so started chatting with the orchid guys and we had some offers coming in and it seemed a lot more appealing at that moment in time. Um, and we were having a really nice time kind of being around each other and chatting with each other. Um, but then all of a sudden, all these other projects started happening at the exact same time as the orchid reunion. So it's a lot of stuff happening at once, but, sure. but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very, I'm very happy with the response and I'm glad people are excited about it. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been an adventure for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I was an early bird on getting a little like nudge, nudge. This might be happening. I know Jeff a bit. Um, Merrick, who is helping with the shows, is is my booking mm. agent as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so we, you know, when this was starting to stir, I was, I was, I mean, I couldn't be more excited. I unfortunately never had the opportunity to see you guys um, back when, so uh, mm. I'm definitely going to be flying out to at least at least one of those shows. Um, nice. But uh, how are you liking Toronto so far? Uh, I mean, it's great. It's, it's a very different pace of life. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have New York is kind of like in my bones in a big way. So it, it's definitely like a, a, a much, I had to sleep in the noise machine for the first couple of months when I got there because it's so quiet. Oh, yeah. I live in a, and I live in a pretty sleep. I live in the West End, a pretty sleepy neighborhood yeah. called the junction, which is great. It's, um, but yeah, it's, and it's, you know, there's, we have like, we live in a house and there's neighbors <laughs> that talk to me like you know all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah it's 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 a, it's different but it you know there's a lot of there's a lot of pluses too i mean healthcare let me tell you for uh for podcast sake i'm excited that you live in toronto because uh there's an ongoing joke with the show where it's like when i'm talking to someone who's in new york uh for the background for them it's always honking and i live in la so the background for me is always sirens so it just becomes like a a fun post-production uh cleanup session well, I have bad news for you. I'm actually in Brooklyn right now. So. Oh, all right. Well, then here we go. <laughs> yeah, we still have a place in Brooklyn, and I'm playing a I'm playing a show with my my new band on Wednesday. So we're rehearsing. So which band is that? Is that the the Jason Green and the Jerk thing? Or yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. How yeah. long have you been doing yeah. that? Well, I've been working on that record for since like the Obama administration. It's like very old, but this is the first release that's come. Well, I guess this is the um the first vinyl release that's coming out uh comes out on the 12th on dfa and uh so we put a band together we're playing a show um yeah yeah because yeah i saw time i saw there was like a i if i'm i think i'm not mistaken but there was like a release maybe like on one of the streaming services from like 2017 does that seem right like so you've been doing it yeah we did a we did a we did a single with adult swim like right at the beginning of the pandemic oh cool came out um and then i i did like a little ep when i did a a tour with LCD that I kind of released quickly because I knew I was doing that tour and I thought it would be good to have something out. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, and so now that we've got this single, we got a couple singles coming out of DFA and then a and then a full length. 
has the since the project has going on been going on as long as it has like has the sound like the sonic sound of that band changed throughout the time because i think you know correct me if i'm wrong but like the vibe at least from what i had checked out quickly was like a little bit more of like a uh like a new wavy sort of joy divisiony sort of thing is that fair to say well there's certainly elements of that there's like kraut stuff going on there's like okay. 70s rock stuff going on i mean it's sort of just it's me like an amalgamation of your, of your taste yeah yeah it's just me playing with my friends and it was kind of um a lot of disparate sessions like over the years um and uh yeah yeah it's 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 pretty eclectic yeah <laughs> sure it's like, yeah it's nice to have yeah. a project uh that you just slap your name on that you can sort of express all of the different things that influence you you know yeah it's really fun and it's and i have i have so many talented musician friends and it's just been a, a real pleasure to kind of collaborate with them on these these songs I'm sure that's going to come up a little bit later on when we're kind of talking about some of the other bands that you had done, even post Orchid, where it, when I, you know, am researching a person and I'm seeing all the different people that they started bands with, even if they're bands that were short lived or something, it just to me is like, oh, you live in a, in a, in an area where there's a lot of awesome people from all different kinds of musical backgrounds that can just be like, hey, you want to rent a practice space for a few hours and see what we could do? Like that's kind of the energy of like at least what I got from like violent bullshit, you know. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> we can get we can get into that if you want, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely um, you know, it's New York is kind of an amazing place, and there's a lot of super talented creative people, and you know, my friend group has always been artists and musicians, and so it's um, yeah, yeah, it's it's great, and it's nice to be able to kind of branch out and collaborate with different people, do different stuff, and I don't know, I just I really enjoy it. Is that what drove you to New York in general, or was it like a job opportunity? Because it if it was the timeline. No. Oh, okay, go ahead, please. Well, I um, uh, I left college, um, Hampshire, but before I finished, and I didn't know what to do really. And uh, I had I'd actually been to New York a few times. I'd never set foot in Brooklyn ever. Um, I was kind of dating a woman who was going to Columbia. And so I was like, well, I'll just go stay with her. <laughs> and then I found a place in, uh, in Dumbo in Brooklyn uh, back in like 99. That's, and I moved there really with no plan. I really had no plan. And again, it was like, didn't know anybody, didn't know anything about the city. I just was like, I feel like I should be here. And I, I came here and it worked out. It took some time, but it worked out. Sure. I feel like the people that end up lasting in a place like Brooklyn are the people with those stories. I think the people who over plan and try to like make it their whole existence. I think that those are the people that don't last as long. Cause you have to have that fighter spirit <laughs> to kind of yeah. stick it out in a way. I definitely was in a position where it was like, you have to make this work. Totally. So, so yeah, you, you make it work. <laughs> also rent was a lot, <laughs> rent was a lot cheaper back then too. So it was a, it was a bit easier. At that certainly helps. Um, well, shit, let's start with uh, the first question I usually ask musicians is um, when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house by parents or something or siblings, but something that you found that gave you a sense of identity. You were born in Vermont, right? Is that fair? Is that right? Yeah, I was born in Vermont, but I didn't live there very long. I was I, I lived in New Hampshire until I was we I was born in Vermont, then we moved to New Hampshire. 
Um, and I lived there till I was second grade, seven. Okay. Sure. Okay. And then I moved to Connecticut after that. And then I did all my from second grade through high school was all in, in Connecticut. Okay. So you're in Connecticut. Okay. So there's potentially record stores around. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, I guess the, the, the I, I, it depends on what answer you want. Like as a young kid, what was the, yeah, was yeah, the first yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not the best. I'm not, my memory is like not the best, but the things that stand out to me really are, um, I had a cousin who lived with us for a period of time and he was a he was a metalhead he was much older and he would give me tapes of bands that he deemed to be too wimpy once he started getting into like heavy stuff okay so i he gave me like you know poison faster pussycat motley crew um and i i loved i was obsessed with i like poison was like my favorite band i was obsessed <laughs> with poison yeah. um i and also like at the same time um the first run dmc tape was like huge for me yeah and um also like weird al was a big one when i was young it was like a very big connection that i made like that i just loved and felt like it was kind of mine yeah but i would say i'd say probably yeah probably like hair metal stuff was like the first thing where i'm like yeah music fucking rocks <laughs> i don't know are yeah. you are you able to enjoy any of that stuff in your adulthood, like with the nostalgia's sake, I bring this up just because I recently had uh, Mark McCoy on, and he was like, "Oh, oh that's, yeah. all, that's, that's all I listen to." Yeah, that's all he listens to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't really listen to it anymore. I have a soft spot for it, right? And if it, you know, if it's on the radio or something, like, I'll yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't put on like unskinny bop or anything on my own. <laughs> But I was like, I was desperate to own like a BC Rich Warlock bass because Bobby Dahl from Poison played it. You know, that's, that was like, to me, that was, I mean, Def Leppard was like huge for me. I was obsessed with Def Leppard. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, it sounded like you had something you wanted to add to this, like maybe when you were older. Um, so like maybe when you were a teen, what was the thing that sort of changed for you that made you, you know, have your own identity in that way? Uh, well... I mean, I think, you know, the hair metal stuff led to, like, that same cousin gave me, like, he, he gave me uh, Master of Puppets hmm. tape, and I was like, oh, you know. Um, and then watching things like Headbangers Ball, stuff like that, um, it's definitely got into, like, heavier stuff. And then and then also continue to be kind of interested in, in hip-hop music, like Public Enemy and those kind of things. Um, so yeah, that was, there, there was definitely like an early having, just having someone in our house that was kind of obsessed with music, like my cousin was, it kind of gave me the bug a bit, even though he wasn't, he wasn't there for too long, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely showed me there's things outside of, you know, what's going on in my little town. Did he, uh, did he play in any bands or anything like that? Or was he just a fan? He played bass. I don't know if he played in any bands. He didn't play in a band when he was staying with us. Um, okay. But he played bass, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so what was your first concert? Uh, okay, that could go a couple ways, too. Like, first ever, ever. Like sure. With, um, the earliest ones I can remember, my parents took me to see Kenny Rogers. Hell yeah. 
And we met, I met Kenny Rogers. There's a picture of me with Kenny Rogers. Do you remember actually the interaction or was it just like, you look at the photo I and you say, I guess that happened? Vaguely. I vaguely remember. I don't think it was too, uh, I don't think it was too prolonged. I think it was pretty was it like brief. A, was it like a meet and greet situation or did you? I don't know. I don't know. I was pretty, I was pretty young, but yeah. I, I feel like my dad got the tickets from somebody. It was at this little theater called the Oakdale in Connecticut. And we also went and saw the same theater, Three Dog Night play. I think okay. it was like one surviving member or something. <laughs> um, so those are two of my earliest kind of memories of seeing live shows. Okay. And then uh, what about maybe like for a show? Like maybe once you get introduced to like, you know, more youthful music. Like a punk show? I, sure. um, I, was, I was really into theater as a young man, because I've always oh. been very cool. <laughs> um, and I used to do, uh, they would do these summertime Shakespeare plays in a local park in, uh, in the town I grew up in. So I would do these Shakespeare in the park uh, performances. Yeah. And I met a girl there who's a bit older than me, who was in the play. And she dated the drummer of this local Connecticut ska band called JC Super Ska. Okay. Is that Jesus <laughs> Christ Super Ska? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. That's correct. So, that so correct. they were extra cool. They were really cool. Um, yeah. And anyway, so she, we went to see his band play at a place called the Tune In in New Haven, which is an all ages punk club. Cool. And if memory serves, I think this band called the Pissed played, who are a, like kind of a legendary Connecticut hardcore punk band. And a is band it like called P I P I S T. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and a band called Brutally Familiar also played, which is like another kind of hardcore punk band. And uh, I just remember being like very excited about that. There's a lot of ska. It was like a lot of, Connecticut was bit a big ska town at that point. So I used to, go to see a lot of ska shows, but it was always mixed. So there was always punk bands playing. Yeah. With the ska yeah. bands. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, the, but the situation just excited you. It like made you, you know, feel yeah, like you wanted I mean, to be I, a part of it i think i think the where i went to high school um junior high high school uh you know it was a uh, it wasn't the most they weren't the biggest culture vultures in town you know it was very uh very straight laced you know um we had like the number one high school football team in the in like on the east coast or whatever uh it, and it just there wasn't a ton of culture around really yeah. So when I started to do, and I did like, you know, I did like musicals and stuff like in the school. And then I, when I went out and did these like Shakespeare plays, there was like grownups doing it as well. And then you started to meet people who were kind of like artistic. Um, and then they're like, well, you know, they show you a new world. They're basically like, there's people out there that like art and music and literature and it's a, and then you're like oh really <laughs> and i think once i went to that so when i went to the tune in and was at this punk club with a bunch of weirdos and listening to this crazy music i just was like oh okay there's like a there's a place for me that makes yeah. sense so awesome. it was it was it was it was even more than more than the music it was kind of um just sort of culturally calming that i i, I found people who at least shared some sort of perspective that maybe I, I had. You know, you mentioned, you know, theater and musicals and things like that. Was that something that you wanted to pursue, like, as you were getting older? 
Well, I was really into, I mean, that was a thing where it was, it was sort of the only artistic outlet that I could figure out, you know? Uh, and of course I loved, I've always loved performing. It's kind of um, my desperate need for attention that came very early, <laughs> continues on to this day. Uh, um, and yeah, I mean, I went to, when I went to college, I went, I wanted to go for, I, the, the plan was to, for filmmaking, to make movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you, so ended up direct, that, you ended up doing some directing. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. done, I've done yeah. a bit. Um, but yeah, that, that was the idea was that I wanted to do film directing. So it's still in that zone. Um, yeah. Um, but I didn't, once I left high school, I didn't really think about pursuing acting as like a thing. Really. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. What was, uh, I, you know, I, I sort of skipped over this one a little bit, but I actually am curious. So like, what what was the first record that you ended up buying with your own money? Like something that you know, maybe you saved up allowance or something that you remember buying? Yeah, I was thinking about this one. I, I well, I know for, I wanted, I really wanted badly um, Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. And my mother, for some reason, would not buy it for me because of the cover. The, the album cover, punched, yeah. The guy getting punched in the face. You've got an uphill battle with a parent when you're like, this one? But <laughs> she bought me Poison, open up and say, ah. And it's got like lips on, you know, it's like, what's what's the, you know. What's actually worse here? Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's, what's culturally worse? I know. I mean, I you know. So that, I so I shoplifted the Pantera record. Fuck yeah. So that was maybe my... So that's not with my own money, but I did yeah. steal that. That okay. might be the first thing. But yeah. I think the first the first vinyl thing I bought, it's probably like a Queers record, I think is would be one of the first ones. Nice. Because they came to New Haven all the time. And I was uh was very like very nascent stages of me getting into punk rock. And mm -hmm. I just thought they were like pretty great. Were they in New uh, York? New York based? No, they're from Vermont. You're from Vermont. from Vermont. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um so yeah, I, I I bought, I remember it was like a Queers record or there was a local, oh, there was a New York band that was kind of like a quick Sandy type band called Sweet Diesel. That oh. Was like the that was like the first seven inch I bought, I think. Okay. Um, That's one of those bands I've seen there. I've seen the seven inches, but I've actually never listened to it. So that, I didn't know they were like yeah. a quick Sandy kind of band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, at the time I, I, I couldn't vouch for them now. It's been forever, but. Sure. Um, but yeah, at the time I really liked it. What made you pick uh, that up? Was it just like the cool, like the seven inch looked cool? Saw them live. Oh, okay. And I didn't even have a record player at that point, but they were selling. That's all they had for sale. So I just bought one. And then I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to need to get a record player. Like this is going to start after happening. So sure. Um, uh, yeah, but that's, I, I feel like that's the sort of my earliest. So I know you originally played, was it guitar in All I Ask? Was that, was yeah. it guitar or bass? Okay, because you mentioned you mentioned wanting a bass earlier. So what was your first instrument? My very first instrument was I played the trumpet. Okay. <laughs> when I was in like sixth grade. Okay. Whatever, when I, got to... I was going to say, whenever a guest ends up telling me that they their first instrument was some sort of like a like a horn or, or something like that. I always say like, if I was able, if I was able to pass you a trumpet right now, do you think you could play it? No, I can make sounds. Okay. I couldn't, sure. <laughs> I couldn't play it. I couldn't play it properly. Sure. I gave it up pretty quickly and then I wanted to play the bass. So I, I, um, when I got to seventh grade, I, I worked for a summer and saved up and bought this terrible 
knockoff Japanese base. It's like a Jackson knockoff called Mako. Okay. Um, co- so like a pawn shop. Pawn shop yeah. acquisition. No, no, no. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a used at a, at a, at a, um, at a music, music store. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so then when I got to junior high, they had orchestra, which were, where you, so I played double bass, like stand up bass. And the teacher there also gave me private lessons on the electric bass. So she would teach me, I could bring in songs that I wanted to learn and she would just show me how to play them. Basically. Okay. So what was the first song that you learned how to play that you were excited about actually? Well, the first thing I, I got the bass, I guess it was, I guess it was sixth grade or seventh grade. And there was a guy in my class who was, he was gigantic and scary metalhead guy named Ryan. And he showed me how to play uh, Iron Man. Wrong, <laughs> but he showed me how to play it. I mean, it wasn't right. A version of Iron Man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I had some guy, some of the guys that I um, did musical theater with were like very musical, that like could play piano and stuff. And they had a whole jam space in their basement. And we played, they taught me how to play Learning to Fly by Tom Petty because it was just open strings. Like I could just play along with open strings, basically. Yeah. We played that about a hundred times in a row. Remember that? And then the first song I asked to learn how to play from my teacher was Highway to Hell by ACDC, which is also basically just open E the entire time. Right, right. There's a great podcast that did an episode actually on Pantera where they were, I guess there's like, you know, lore from, I think, the the uh, Dimebag and Vinny's parents that once they both got instruments like drums and a bass or drums and a guitar, sorry, uh, they just basically played smoke on a water on loop for like six yeah, hours yeah. a day. Whereas just the two of them just playing that riff for six hours. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it is one of those things like that, that learning to fly thing literally was yeah. open E open a, and there was something just like, it felt so cool to be able it's to play. Intoxicating. Start to yeah. Yeah. And we just yeah. did it over and over and over again. Um, I totally get yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so much to their parents chagrin. We were doing it like yeah, all day long. <laughs> Where were you practicing? Did you have like a one of your friends had a had the garage or what? No, it's these these two brothers that lived down the street from me. They had like a whole setup in their basement. They had drums, they had a keyboard, they had a bass, they had guitar. Yeah, so we'd go down there and just kind of mess around. What an amazing situation to have as a leg up as a as a young person. Like that's so like I mean, think about how hard it is to find a practice space in Brooklyn. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> like. I'm, I'm dealing with it right now so i'm sure you are uh all right so then what was your first band what was the very first band you did <laughs> uh well the very first band it's so funny because it all to me it's like in these different stages of life you know but of course the very yeah. first band uh when i was in junior high i played bass and sang in a power trio called liquid blue that's not a bad uh, band name <laughs> like considering i mean I've, this just is like episode 170 something or other but like you know i've heard some pretty some pretty good yeah. ones over the years but uh good as in like horrific but that's actually not that bad that's pretty good uh, okay well it's uh yeah it's the company that makes all the grateful dead tie-dyes okay never mind it sucks <laughs> just kidding <laughs> so i got the name from okay so what was this band like it was we we just did covers like we had one original song called uh-huh. Spaceship Rock and Roll. Nice. That I could still sing, but I really? won't do it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I know what the was, chorus. What was the vibe? Uh, we were I was we were I was very into like Jimi Hendrix at the time. And we covered we covered like Fire um by Jimi Hendrix. 
Okay. Uh, we, we covered a couple of Jimi Hendrix songs. And then we also covered, so we did, we played a, um, we played a junior high talent show and we had to play three songs kind of dispersed throughout yeah. the evening. And we did started with wait, fire, like, but Jimmy. Wait, like not in a row. Not in a row. What we were like we, it was it was just we were kind of like it was like a house band. You were like the house band. Okay, okay. Wow. Um. So we started off with fire, roundly booed by the crowd, <laughs> <laughs> and that was our first of three. So. Oh my god! Uh, and then and then we did so then we did our original spaceship rock and roll, also not a huge hit with the crowd. Yeah. And then we closed with Walk by Pantera. Okay. Psychotic. It's psychotic. It's just psychotic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, and that's sort of culturally where I was at, uh, like in, in Connecticut, like that's, you're, you're just like, you had to like, it was, you had to just, whatever you could figure out, you just try to figure out. Like there was no one telling me what was cool, what wasn't cool or. Was the original song kind of a vibe between those two things? Like, was it like heavy, but like trying to be classic Rocky? Like, no, it was, was a little, it was, I was definitely more in the classic rock zone than heavy. Okay. Uh, for sure. Um, um, I'm also fascinated that the band name came from like a Grateful Dead reference. Like what was, what was dragging you into like the older, I mean, as a young person, it's like so rare to, I think to attach yourself to that when there's so much popular music happening at that time, you know what I'm saying? Between 80 stuff and then probably the on the oncoming grunge movement that's happening. Like what, like what do you think got you so into like the classic stuff? You know, that I'm not sure. All I know is I had a, I had the best of grateful dead CD and I listened to it over and over and over again. Like I was, I was just totally into it. Um, I abandoned it as soon as I like once I got into kind of punk and hardcore. Sure. And I knew that it was just like verboten to be into the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Uh, I definitely turned my back on them. And it became point, cool but, uh, again in like the last 10 years. So like you were yeah, yeah, still of, you were yeah. ahead of the curve. Yeah, always. Um yeah, I don't know. And but I I definitely I was into the I mean, I was into certainly into so so a, a sidebar is in seventh grade, when I joined orchestra, that's where I met Jeff Garlock, who was the bass player of Orchid. So we've been friends yeah. since seventh grade. Um, and he and he and I would spend weekends in his basement watching Headbangers Ball and 120 Minutes and all that stuff. So we like I was definitely into the grunge stuff. Like uh, you know, I liked. I mean, I loved that first Pearl Jam record, Bad Motorfinger, the Soundgarden record. Yeah. Um, like all that stuff, I was definitely a fan of, but that was a brief window as well. You're a few years older than me, so I'm curious if you had the opportunity to see any of that stuff. Like, of course, I'm curious if you got to see Nirvana. I always love asking guests or a few. No, I never. Kids. No, I never saw Nirvana. I, I also was just not an. I'm and I still don't like Nirvana. I just okay. never cared for that band. Sure. Um, I think probably when that record first came out, I certainly was like everybody else, kind of taken up with yeah. it but no i never i haven't i didn't see them i think i was a little i was a little young okay to to see i was in, i was in like junior high when that stuff was happening so, so it was like 12 it 13 makes, it makes sense to me that you would have leaned more pearl jam and soundgarden because those have more of the classic rock element to it like you could hear that they were more influenced by hendrix and and things like that as opposed to nirvana which you know less so yeah yeah i i mean 
yeah, but I again that you know never mind. I definitely had it, and I definitely sure. listened to it a lot. You know, yeah. at the time, but that whole phase was very short lived. It was probably like a year or two, and then I was out of that. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, so the first show you played was this talent show. And, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and to to mixed reviews, right? So not, how long? Not, not mixed. Not mixed. <laughs> I was being kind. Bad, bad reviews. Okay, bad so reviews. so Liquid Blue does it? Does it call it a day? Does the band break up and then you start something? Well, else? we we definitely still like we would we play in my parents' living room, um, and, and kind of jam around. But yeah, it didn't last very long. Okay. Um. And then after that, it's quite a, like, I didn't, I wasn't in a band forever. Like I would kind of try to get things going and try to jam with people and it never really happened. And I had a, there was a very small group of friends in my school that were into hardcore and punk and stuff. And they all started a band and I was not in it. So I was their like uh, number one fan. I would like, I drew their tape cover and I'd like their demo cover and I'd, carry their gear and i was you know yeah yeah singing along the only person singing along you know that kind of thing and what was that um, band called that band was called switch dance and that was jeff garlock singing his oh, cool. first band yeah yeah and they were playing all the big connecticut hardcore shows like playing with Hatebreed and earth crisis and marauder all, all stuff like that yeah uh and then i started a band I basically like forced my way into that band and I was like, I was like, now we're going to sound like coalesce or dead guy. Like that was what I was into at the time. Yeah. So basically I just, I just threw my guitar around and screamed and that was sort of like, so I was, that was my first kind of like punk hardcore band. Okay. So was that all I ask or is there a that was band? All I, yeah, that was, that was all I asked. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. And that yeah. band you were playing guitar in, right? Yeah. Okay, so when did you when did you start playing guitar? I mean, you know, playing. We should be putting air quotes around. <laughs> like I can play guitar playing, yeah, yeah. I played drums in a like in, in a grindcore band and in a, another band with Jeff called Suffragette. Okay, I played bass and stuff. I played. I mean, I I can play competently enough all of that stuff to be in a hardcore band, but beyond right. that, uh. I don't really know. I, I tried playing guitar before I picked up the bass and it was just too hard. Like I just didn't, I couldn't get into it. And I had an acoustic and it's yeah, it just too many strings. Yeah. And it was like, it didn't sound cool. Like I didn't have an amp, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I think, I don't really, I can't remember how I kind of came back around to it, but yeah, I just basically like somebody showed me a power chord and then that was like off to the races basically. I am here to update you on the upcoming releases from Persistent Vision Records. You can pre-order the incredible split between Massanera and Quiet Fear. It's a collaborative split. Both of these bands are great. If you're a fan of Screamo, sign right up. You can pre-order these through Persistent Vision and through Deathwish Inc. Also available is a self-titled 12-inch from the band Goisha, who are a new DC band featuring members of Genocide Pact and Brain Tourniquet. They're playing death metal with elements of grind, black metal, and punk. And lastly, a record from the band Wreath. The album is called The Land Is Not An Idle God. They are a dark, melodic crust band out of London, featuring members of the iconic bands Fall of Afrafa and Morrow. 
Hit up Persistent Vision or Deathwish Inc. to order now. So just out of my own personal curiosity, because um, not to blow smoke, but you're someone whose lyrics I always appreciated. When did you were lyrics always important to you like what were you listening for that in this music because obviously you're playing bass and you know like you're appreciating riffs and things like that but like i'm curious if if you found yourself attached to lyrics um from the artists you were a fan of early on yeah i mean i would say yes i i certainly was not writing lyrics or i mean i i, def, I always liked writing um kind of doing creative writing stuff, but I never wrote like poetry or lyrics or anything, but I, and I definitely, I mean, certainly once I got into hardcore and that whole world, it's so important. The lyrics are so important. And like having, you have to know the words because you yeah. go to the show, you're going to sing along, you're going to stage dive. Like you have to know the words. Yeah. So you're just pouring over these lyric sheets, you know? And even before that, yeah, I was always, yeah, I was definitely always interested in, in, I paid attention to the lyrics. Yeah. Were yeah, there many, sure. were there any hardcore punk bands that you can think of that you did notice like, Oh, this band actually is saying something or, Oh, I like the, like I'm noticing this person's writing style as opposed to, you know, not to, I'm a hardcore fan as much as the next person. I, you know, whatever else, but like there's a difference always between like the band that's writing about unity and community and all of the things that you know hitting the touchstones yeah. of all of the stuff and then there's yeah. the bands that are actually maybe showing themselves a little bit more a little more emotive things like that um did you did you notice the the difference between those two and was that like something you were drawn to well yeah so i guess i kind of came to hardcore sort of backwards because like the first thing like one of the first things i got was a um the repeater fugazi repeater cassette tape yeah, and I'd listen to it while I was mowing the lawn, and I we had a big lawn, and that tape is short, so it just would flip and flip and flip. Right, and I remember thinking the lyrics are really interesting to that, but not really fully understanding it. I was pretty pretty young. Um, and then through them, I got into Minor Threat, and then I got really into this idea of it. Like I liked, I liked, and then getting into like Youth Crew stuff, like Youth of Today, and um, and you know local band like fast break and cornerstone were from connecticut and they're they had this like a brevity to them and 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 this whole thing about you know youth and community and like friendship and all that stuff totally resonated with me at the time like i really liked it and i i know now that obviously that this is like a it's a paint by numbers kind of thing in hardcore but at the time i didn't know and i just was like oh wow this is so cool what they're talking yeah. straight edge and all that stuff i just thought was i thought it was awesome um, but yeah, as I got older, I think the, the, the bands that even like in high school, I would say, you know, bands like Bikini Kill was a huge one for me. Um, Los Crudos was a huge one for me. Uh, Chokehold was kind of a big one for me because the politics were so extreme, which I right. really thought was kind of just like saying things like the only good cop is a dead cop, like stuff like that. And just being like, Oh right. shit. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. You know, like growing up in rural Connecticut, I'm like, God damn. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that it was and, wild that it was coming from Canada. Yeah. 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 And uh, all this stuff was, I mean, these are, these are, these are bands that made me want to, they're like referencing 
writers and thinkers. And so I would go and like read books based on what the, you know, Nation of Ulysses was a big one. Um, but also at the same time, I was listening to a lot of hip hop and that was like, and then obviously lyrics are like, that's the thing, you know? The whole thing, yeah. Um, so, you know, like the Beastie Boys were such a huge thing for me. And I learned about so much cool stuff just by listening to their lyrics and um, reading Grand Royale magazine. It was like such a such a gift for like a, a rural kid to like be able to have a window into like cool culture. And I can't even uh, imagine like I'd love to be able to fly on the wall like the time you realized that they started out as like a hardcore band. I'm sure that was like a way. It what? took forever. Yeah. It took forever. I got I, I bought a bootleg, a live bootleg. And it was all hardcore stuff. I was like, what the, this isn't Beastie Boys. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, and then they released that Cookie Puss EP. Right. And that's when I kind of was like, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it still blows my mind to think about, think about all that. Yeah. But yeah, th those were, that those were sort of like the, I think, I think as I sort of matured, um, I, those were the, the, the kind of thoughtful, outwardly political in a way that's contentious. I really liked. Yeah. Um, but I also liked, like, I really liked the kind of scary, aggressive, hardcore lyrics, uh, you know, when I was first starting off, like, like just angry, violent, you know, that appealed to me. I get it. Sure. I get it. Um, yeah. So what was the first band that you recorded with? Was it All I Ask? Yeah. Yeah, it was All I Ask. We recorded with this. Um, it was one of the guys, there was a really good hardcore band from Connecticut called Die My Will. That was sort of a dead, dead guy-ish kind of band. At the time, they seemed like ancient, but I'm, I'm sure they're probably in their 20s. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm like, they're old guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we recorded with them. We did a seven inch. Our bass player's little brother decided he wanted to do a record label. So he, he financed it. Um, I'm sure he's probably got like 500 of them under his bed somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the first, that was my first recording experience. Okay. What was it? And what was it like recording for you? Was it, was it in like a, like a very DIY sort of basement or was it like an actual recording studio you pay? You it was know? sort of between, it was in between the two. It, okay. I, you know, I, my memory of it is very vague. I think we did the whole thing in a day. Basically we tracked Extract. it and then I think, I think we mixed it maybe the next day. Was it, do you remember if it, you recorded it live or was it like track by track? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't even remember. I barely remember recording the guitar parts. I, 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 my feeling is we recorded it live. Totally. Because I can't imagine that I played along to a recording. I, I was just not, I don't think I was at that level. I mean, um, it's, it's interesting when you talk to people about their first recording experiences, just because there, I feel like there is such a difference between doing the live recording and then having to do the track by track for the first time. Cause it's like, all of a sudden you have everyone looking right at you as you're trying to nail these things that you thought you had, you know? <laughs> so, Oh yeah. I mean, that's uh, once I started singing in a band, you're like alone, isolated in this vocal booth. And then you're doing these takes, you know, I remember when we were doing the first Panthers record for vice, we were at this really nice studio and I was like way in the back in this room and I couldn't see anybody. So I would sing a take and then they'd hit the talk back button and I could hear everyone laughing the worst like, let's feeling. do it let's do another and they they're probably just laughing at something else like a joke you know but to your like self-conscious yeah, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, been there that was a, that was, was that the record you did with alex newport yes yeah yeah i can i'm sure there's an added pressure there too because that was probably one of the first people if not the first person that you maybe recorded with it 
you know, was a bigger name or someone that like you didn't have a prior relationship with? Yeah. And it was, uh, it was like, uh, you know, I mean, granted, like, he comes uh, from punk and all that sort of stuff, but like, still, it's no, like, Alex is, yeah. Alex was yeah. great. Like, I, yeah. I loved working with Alex. Um, I would, yeah. I mean, I, I had such a good time with him. Uh, we definitely, it was a lot of pressure. We were in like a, a very kind of fancy recording studio upstate. And, um, you know, we had a, it was the first time we ever had like a budget to record for more than two days, you know? So, <laughs> right. It was the first time Jeff Selaney, or the drummer from Orchid, and who was also in Panthers, he had to play to a click track. He'd never even thought about that. Oh my you know, god! He almost had a he almost had a nervous breakdown. I mean, it was I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was all that. That was that was we have we've had a couple of hairy recording situations. I mean, the first the first Orchid the first couple Orchid seven inches we recorded at the same time, and we were going to do it with Kurt Ballou, right? But Kurt was booked. So Kurt said, you should do it with Steve from Today's the Day. Steve Austin. Yeah. And I'm a, well, was, you know, I know, I, I can speak for Jeff and I, I can't speak for everybody else, but we were both huge fans of Today's the Day. Yeah. Um, so we were thrilled and we recorded with him and it was like, we had, I, this is, this was probably the first time I'd, you know, the, for, it was the first time since All I Ask that I'd been, we did a demo tape. Will recorded our, the Orca demo at Hampshire. But so this was kind of like, you know, none of us knew him. We all kind of held him in high regard. We had to sleep on the floor of the recording studio. We're like locked in the recording studio. And we're all such babies. Like, like we're, yeah. we're all, we were all pretty like sensitive, like soft guys, you know, like yeah. we, we're not like, you know, we don't run headlong into conflict or anything. And, and, and we're rarely around <laughs> those kind of situations. And we were all straight edge at the time too. Yeah. It was just a it was wild it was wild. i can i can i can only imagine i can only imagine um i was actually curious about that if if kerr was the first person besides will that you had recorded with for orchid but that's interesting that it was steve it was steve yeah um okay yeah. so what i i gotta ask just you know moving into orchid territory um what was the motivator for that band to start did all i ask break up and then you and jeff were like oh we still want to be in a band together let me sing this time yeah, so the way Orchid started from all I ask was all I ask was still going, I believe, when Orchid began. Um, I was at Hampshire. This I've told a few times, but it's so you know there was not a ton of hardcore kids on campus, and you know how uh, it is like you kind of sniff each other out. And I was definitely full on kind of youth crew, hate breed, Connecticut Brotherhood mode. You know, like I was like that was my whole thing. You know. And I, um, I had a guy named, there was a guy who ended up playing guitar in that band called The Hoods. Do you know that band? From California? No. I think they're from California. Yeah, like that super like thuggy. Are you fucking, band, okay, interesting. So there was All a right, guy, yeah. He, he, yeah. He, ended up, he ended up in The Hoods afterwards, but yeah, I went to no, college no. with him. Yeah. And uh, he, he wrote, he was, he wrote like a hardcore record and he just recruited a bunch of people to be in it. And he asked me to sing in it and he had already written all the lyrics and everything. Okay. It's called, it's called fall between. And, um, and I'd never sang in a band before I'd sang backups in all I asked, but I never sang. And so we played like two shows maybe. And I think Will saw one of those shows and then he asked, he wanted to start a band and he brought it up to me and I assumed he wanted me to play guitar. And he said, no, I think you should sing. I was like, Oh, okay. And then that's kind of how it came to be. It was, um, yeah, Will had this kind of idea in mind, I think. 
um, and this vision for it. And then, um, yeah, yeah, he, he, I, I, it wouldn't have occurred to me to be the singer in the band. Did Will know Jeff as well? Well, Jeff, he did not know Jeff at that. Well, he knew Jeff through all I asked, but Jeff was going to school at Boston, uh, Boston College, mm. Boston University. Um, and we had a different bass player, Brad Wallace, who was the, he played on uh, the first Seven Inches and on Chaos and did the first couple tours with us. Okay. And he went to, he went to Hampshire as well. So that was, it was me, Brad, uh, Will, and then Jeff Salani, who was at UMass, who was our drummer. Got it. Just to sort of round, round out, um, some of the questions and just so I know I we've covered all of the all I ask stuff that I wanted to cover was okay. was all I asked the first band that you toured with or did was it Orchid no all I asked never toured we played you know we played um, mostly just in Connecticut we played like the bike exchange which is like a skate park that had amazing shows back in the day okay we play like in the half pipe it's kind of awesome play the tune in um, we played at Hampshire College with Caven I think Nice. Uh, I think, I think we, I think we left Connecticut for Massachusetts maybe twice, but otherwise we, yeah, we didn't, okay. I, we didn't play the, a ton of shows. And then so just, Orchid was the first, first touring band. Yeah. Me being a record nerd who, you know, had a, such a huge affinity for this entire world. Um, was, uh, how did you guys hook up? Cause you guys did a split seven inch with Joshua Pfeiffer battle. Oh, yeah. Um, how did that come to be? Cause they're from New, <laughs> New Jersey, I think. Yeah, I, this is uh, like this is after all I asked was broken up. Um, oh God, I don't even know how this happened. I think it was the, the the guy the guy who was putting out the record basically just came to us and said, "Do you have any extra songs?" Classic. We have this. We have this band. Yeah. And um, and we did. And he wanted to put it out, so we're like, "Yeah." I we I don't I don't think we'd ever heard Joshua Fit for Battle. Okay. Before that. Or we never played with them. I mean, oh, I think funny. Orchid, Orchid probably crossed paths with them yeah. later. But, but yeah, it was one of those things where I think I think he played us the songs. We're like, yeah, cool, you know. And then it was a, an outlet for an unreleased "All I Ask" song. So that's okay how it came to be. Got it. Because yeah, uh, Josh, who played in Joshua Fifer Battle, was in like so many of those. He was in like Neil Perry and uh, oh yeah 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 and, yeah and Hot Cross and all of these bands. So the now yeah yeah. <clears throat> so I was curious if that's like an early you know connection but uh i I, lo- I always love when it's just like oh no we had extra songs and this guy wanted to put together a split seven inch and that's yeah, how that it was happened. that really was that really was how that came to be out of curiosity just because i don't own um that original orchid demo tape but i know the songs on that ended up being on split seven inches were those the same recordings that were sort of dispersed on like a couple of the early splits no they were re-recorded okay um but the original demo recordings are on the totality release that we put out which is like all the splits like all the singles that's together. what i was curious so, of, if those recordings were the demo that's why I, I guess i was curious yeah we have the demo recordings on there and then we also uh we have it might be getting this wrong but we definitely re-recorded that stuff that was the stuff we okay. did with steve okay okay got it yeah. um so then tell me about the first tour what was the first tour you ever did we did um the East Coast, I think we went all the way down to Florida, but I might be wrong. Just you guys and or we were you with another band? Well, we were, we, we, we kind of matched up with a couple different bands. This is at the very beginning. So this is um, Will, who was the most seasoned in terms of connections with people. He had that, he had Clean Plate as his record label. Right. Very crust and grind 
focused. Um, I gotta say, so I was I was surprised to see that the Orca demo tape wasn't like one of the first releases on Clean Plate. It was like number like twenty or something. So it's interesting that he oh, had no. been doing it for a while before that band started. So that's interesting. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. He had a he had a it was a going concern. Like he was doing really well. Um, <laughs> he it was it was doing sure, well. No, and then, um, people would send him demos to Hampshire. We would have a we'd sit in his dorm room and we'd like do demo Tuesdays and we'd like listen to the demos that he'd get. Um, okay, so sorry. I mean, he got part. like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, we were in a minivan. Um, it was all of us and a roadie in a minivan with Brad. I think it was Brad's mom's minivan, and uh, we matched up with a bunch of shows. Were with a band called from Rhode Island called Pain Driver. Okay. Like, uh, so it was a lot of. We were getting set up. Because of Will's contacts, it was a lot of like crusty, grindy kind of yeah scenarios. Um, so we did a bunch of shows with Pain Driver, and then we did uh, ended up playing a bunch of shows with Burned Up Blood Dry, who I think had just put out their first seven inch on Slapaham. Okay, who were awesome. Yeah. Um, and it was it was you know, it was definitely like people we we got good responses from people, but it, nobody knew who we were. Uh, a lot of basement shows. We played a horrifying squat. Um, <laughs> in what city? Atlanta. Okay. It was like this crazy giant squat, and it was like a crust fest. It was like they had like yeah. It was all crust bands in us, and then they it was in a, like a loading dock basically. Right. And then they said we could sleep in one of the loading docks, store like a storage space. And I literally they showed us the, they showed us it's a cement floor and there was like two couches and I watched a dog pee on the couch. So yeah. supposed to sleep on I just watched it happen. <laughs> and then they they said leave the door open, uh -huh. the garage door open because someone is going to try to break into your van and you might want to stop them. Oh my god! And I remember thinking I'm like <laughs> they were certain that was going to happen. They were saying it's going to happen, and I was like we're not stopping anyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not stopping someone. <laughs> I'm going to stop like a and larceny. It's so funny how, like, I'm sure all of you wanted to say out loud, like, why don't we just go not sleep here? Like, why don't we just yeah, go sleep yeah. in the van somewhere? But no, like, no, this is, we all feel like we have to be here. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And you're just hanging out in a Mad Max situation. No, and there was like, there was a, to get food, there was like a gas station. Yeah. It was a little bit of a walk away. And uh, someone was like murdered there that night. There was some like crazy oh police God. act. I mean, it was it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we yeah, we we survived it. Um, and I remember it being fun. Sure. I remember being excited about it. Uh, we had our I, th I think we had I don't know. We might have just had the demo. I think we had demo the demo, some T-shirts and some patches. I think that was like our our merch haul for that. And one. how far down did you go? Did you make it down to like Florida? I think we went to Florida, but I, I, I know the other guys are going to listen to this and be like, Jay, can't remember shit. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we did, but we yeah. might we might not have. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly. Was the first... Oh, we also played... I, I, think, I think we were matched up with Hail Mary for a couple shows, too. Oh, that's cool. That's sick. Yeah. yeah. Was, uh, was the first release after the demo, the split with Pig Destroyer? Is that the first vinyl release? Well, I think the first thing we got, and again, sure, no, I guess it. maybe wrong, but yeah. I think I think it was the um, the handheld heart seven inch, the the, the green one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cogs. 
because I, I do remember us doing not having the covers in time for a tour and we silk screen covers for shows. Um, and I think the I think they were pretty close. Uh, but I think that one came first, but I, I could be wrong. That's, they're yeah. pretty, clo pretty I, close. I, I always, you know, go into these interviews with a grain of salt because I'm, I'm expecting the person I'm talking to to remember things from 25 years ago perfectly. So there's always a grain of salt aspect with this. But what I was curious about- Well, the other guys have a really good memory. I, I, I'm not so good. So, yeah, because some of the songs from the demo, I think maybe one or two of the songs from the demo ended up on that self-titled seven inch. And then like, yeah, it's like the other stuff was, I think there were songs that were also maybe on the Pig Destroyer split potentially. Yeah. Um, how did the Pig Destroyer split happen like that's legendary as hell they're a band from virginia you know yeah so will had a relationship with scott hall from pig destroyer because he put out some agoraphobic nosebleed stuff okay. on his label yeah um and then will was booking shows at hampshire and scott was like i have a new band and will booked them and then that was our i think that was our first show ever was with black army jacket and pig destroyer Wow. And then after the show, we had the demo. We had made the demo before the show. Yeah. And then after the show, Scott basically just was like, do you guys want to do a split? And then we said yes. <laughs> and then uh, there was a guy named um, Dave who had a label out of Virginia called Amendment Records. He was in a band called Facade Burn Black that will also release their LP. Uh, and he put out the record. It just kind of fell into place. That yeah. was that was the thing where we I kind of was like oh I guess I'm in a band now you know right like I and it, that was the the fastest and furthest along anything had gone for for me in a, like a musical project. I mean, it's such an amazing hack having someone like Will in your band that already has this sort of set in network to like get cool things kind of moving just because of the relationships he already had. You know, like that's such a amazing situation to be able to be in a band with. Yeah, but also the thing is, you know, he's so talented. Um, he's such a great guitar player. Yeah. I think, you know, if we weren't good, we wouldn't have, no one would ask us to do anything. <laughs> totally, yeah. You know, like, you, there's only so much goodwill in the world, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, yeah, I mean, it was awesome to have someone who had some kind of savvy and understanding of, like, the touring world and booking yeah. shows and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it was great. <clears throat> I've had the pleasure of being around him and you know, we're 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 friendly like Touche played with Ampere early on and um we played with Failures and stuff like that. Mm. Um but it's so funny uh we were on tour with Bane and one of the fill-ins in the band um also played in Cruel Hand, which is from like the the main sort of area and he called will killingsworth chill will which we never heard before and he's like such a like a goofy sort of like hardcore kid he's like oh yeah fuck it i work with chill will and to us who like look at will killingsworth as this legendary fucking guitar player at orc and stuff we're like you call him chill will <laughs> like <laughs> we were so taken back by it we're like this guy that we high uh, hold in such high regard that we never really knew or whatever it just killed us it was like the funniest thing in the world to us well, it's it's also maybe not the most appropriate nickname for him either. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so good. It's so good. Also, um, weird, wild, cool, small world situation. So uh, the guy who ran 
uh, handheld heart, uh, Brian Rodding, Rodinger, is that right? Rodinger, yeah, yeah. Rodinger, yeah. Rodinger, so yeah. So he uh, was my guitar player's, um, one of his teachers at CalArts. So oh, right. awesome. he had this cool connection with him where when Touche started, he was still in CalArts and he was like, oh my God, my teacher like put out all these cool records. And he, I think, taught him like print shop sort of stuff, like, you know, and oh, yeah. because of that, we still silk screened all of our first seven inch stuff because of Brian, which is this cool sort of small world connection. Yeah. Brian is, Brian's amazing. And it's, it's great to see like what he's gone on to do. I mean, he's, he's so talented. What was your connection to him? Was he a West coast person originally? Yeah, he was. I like, I feel like we were, I think we were just kind of like sending tapes to people. I don't remember how he got his hand on it, but he was the first person we were, you know, we, we had a lot of thoughts about where we'd like to release stuff and labels that we liked. And he was the first person who was just like, I want to put out a record. Like yeah. he, he, he was really, really like adamant about it and super supportive. And um, when we went out to the West coast, he would travel with us and yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's such a cool guy. Um, Do you think that, cause the band, you, it's always sort of been said that like the, orchid's hometown was amherst right like that's kind of where the band was sort of central is that right or like kind of where it came yeah. from so yeah. yeah looking at a map i find it interesting that like you know i'm an i'm a west coast person so i'm used to having to drive really far for anything but like it seems like it's equal distance to albany to boston to providence to hartford like was that something that was helpful being located there to where like it made getting to these places to play shows like kind of easy uh, I don't know. I mean, we didn't really, I, I don't think we ever played Albany. We might've, I don't think we ever played Hartford either. Interesting. <laughs> we, wow. <laughs> we did play. I mean, I think we, we played, we played like, I think we played at UConn, uh, but we played Providence all the time. That was the big one for us. We played Boston a lot. Um, yeah, we play like, we played a, a lot in just in Massachusetts. We play like Worcester and, um, sure. Uh, and even, you know, we, we didn't even play New York city that much. We played ABC once or twice, and then we played brownies on that very last stretch. Um, but yeah, no, we, you know, I, I don't think we really took advantage. I don't, I, I that never occurred to me and I, I don't okay. think I ever took advantage of that. <laughs> Something inspired me today to be like, where actually is Amherst? And I was looking at, it, I was like, wow, this seems like a really great local spots to be able to hit all these different places but yeah. it's funny that you didn't really get to take too much advantage no. of it what was the we first didn't time, really what was the first time you went to the west coast what tour was that and what year was that oh god jeremy <laughs> would that have been uh, post, post chaos is me probably because that's like ebullition well i remember no because we went out we went out there um and we had to make i remember on the road we had to make the inserts like we were delivering stuff to evolution that was part of that tour so i don't think we had chaos yet oh if we did if we did it had a tour cover but i remember we had we were at a kinko's on tour and i was putting together the insert it's like so Got like it. skeletons and like like all the typewritten stuff like we, we were like cutting things out and putting that all together to deliver it to be made um and that, yeah. So we played in Goleta. We played at the Pickle Patch, where Steve Aoki, yeah, his spot there. Uh, and then I—that's where I started becoming friends with Steve. It was we were close buds for many, many years after that. Um, 
and we played at the PCH. Um, yeah, that was a, I mean, that was a pretty amazing, it was a pretty fun tour. Do you remember, remember was it, we, were you, were you guys on tour with somebody at that point or was it hopping on from what you remember, hopping on shows with, with bands that were in California? I feel like we were kind of on our own on that one. Okay. As far as I can remember. Yeah, sure. But we did one, we did one with, we did the West coast with, um, the Red Scare also, um, I don't know if we did the West Coast with no, we did. We did the West Coast with Jerome Stream. So could that could have yeah. been one of them as well. Um it's such an amazing I mean, being a part of Ebullition is is as cool as it is, but like when I looked at the release when I looked at the release catalog, the fact that it was like I think it went Yafet Koto, Reversal of the Man, Orchid, like what a incredible time and place to like be a part of that at that time, um, specifically. Uh, oh, I remember being so stressed about that reversal of man record because it came out. I'm like, oh, I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, <laughs> like they yeah. beat us, like they right. beat us to it, right? Oh um, man, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I definitely, I had like a, I felt weird competition. Like when that record came out, I was like, I was like, god damn it. Um, yeah, there was always this feeling that everybody was cooler than us. I, I, I always had that feeling. That's so, so always, funny like, always, to me. Because as an outsider, as just a fan of the genre, I always looked at you guys like you guys were the beacon of cool. Like your lyrics were the snark, were like snarkier. Like you had just like so so many like things that made you guys like the art was always super cool and like very specific and and things like that. It's interesting that you guys felt like you were the uncool band. Well, I think that's I think that's not uncommon. It's sort of like imposter syndrome kind of thing totally um but but also in you know in the rear view like the way people kind of think about music or classify it or you know it's people have lived experiences with it or people have imagined experiences with it so and i think it changes how you think about the artist looking for an extraordinary coffee look no further than Heartwork coffee with eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, Visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T workcoffeebar.com. What brought you guys to Kurt Blue? Were you guys like Converge fans? Like what was, or was he just like a guy you knew was competent? Like, uh, what do you remember for that? No, I th- we were we were definitely Converge fans. We were all Converge fans. Um, and I, I think it was Will Will's doing that got us in touch with Kurt. Um, okay. I think he knew that he had a studio going. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were like, I, I was a huge Converge fan for sure. So we were psyched. To how, with him. how prepared were you guys for doing that first LP? For doing like, totally prepared. I mean, yeah. we, we, that's the thing is, so we wanted, Will was distributing his records through Kent at Ebullition. Yeah. So he had a relationship with Kent. So he had sent Kent the demo. 
Kent, they reviewed the seven inch, you know, and then he was like, Hey, we want to do an LP. Do you want to do an LP? And he was like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And we tried it. We, we wanted to be on great American steak religion. And they're like, no, thank you. We don't want this. Wow. And, um, and then Will was like, let's record just like in the practice space, kind of record demo versions of all the songs on the L- that are going to be on the LP. Then we'll send that to Kent. And we did that. And then I still don't think he really wanted to put it out, but we kind of just wore him down. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think he's happy about it now. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's my memory of it was that we had to really convince him. We had to like talk him into it. Yeah, he was, he was not. He was definitely not. He was not sold. Totally. Okay, so yeah. you you guys had all the songs ready to go. Yeah, so everything was like ready. Like we were throughout that entire time period. I, I would say maybe up in the last LP, there was a little bit more wiggle room because Will was recording it. But we had we were like always the songs are always done, like locked in, finished, and we just went in, banged them out. I would do all my vocals in like a day we would do the tracking in like a day. You know, we, we never spent more than like three days in a studio probably. Totally. So it was always really, really fast. Were those we were always like track? hyper prepared. Were those like when Kurt oh, yeah, was- yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think they'd all play together and then Will would track his guitars separately and what Jeff would track his bass separately. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Kurt being sort of a, uh, a notorious dark sense of humor can be a bit cutting and things like that. Like how was, how was recording with him that first time? I remember really enjoying it. I mean, I thought it was, it was really cool. It was, I think this is a very, this is his very first studio space. Yeah. So it was in this kind of industrial park and it was, there was nothing around. Yeah. Um, And uh, I think we all, we all got along really well. It was a lot of laughing as I remember. Um, He's got an amazing sense of humor, but he can also be intimidating at the same time a little bit. I was definitely, I, I think I definitely felt intimidated by him. But he, I don't know, I, I just took a liking to him sort of immediately. And I think he just, he seemed to have a good understanding of the project. And and um, yeah, there was no, I don't remember really any tension or anything. I, I remember just being kind of fun and yeah. exciting. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I was curious to like skipping ahead because obviously he did, uh, he did Chaos Is Me, did Dance Tonight. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you guys self-recorded, or, you know, the, the gatefold record, I was curious mm-hmm. what that process was for you guys. Like, because you're now on your own schedule, did you guys still bang it out really quickly or did you take more time? And was it hard to know when it was ready to like be done with? Well, all of that's true. Kind of. I mean, we, we, we did a lot of writing. We did a bunch of writing kind of on the road. Like there was, Will had some riffs and we like, I, I would say tigers was one was a riff that will had and we kind of would like mess around with during sound check and then we just started playing it live and like i didn't really fully have lyrics and we, we kind of had like a, it wasn't it was kind of formless but we knew we we wanted to do something with that uh amherst pandemonium i remember was kind of similar both parts we like will kind of had the riffs and we and i didn't really have fully fully have lyrics but we were still kind of doing it live um and then when we got into Will's studio, I think a lot of the songs were there. I was still writing, I was kind of actively writing lyrics as the recording was going. Um, 
and then there was a lot of interstitial stuff like like you know we we did the impersonating Martin Rev was a thing that Will and I kind of messed around on for a while with the, with the synth synthesizers and the um you know in the instrumental track and all that stuff yeah there was definitely this feeling of kind of like it could go on forever if we wanted to yeah right um but it was also very it was like a very liberating because it we didn't feel this pressure to have to like crank it out immediately but it did it didn't take too long i mean we weren't we weren't laboring over it forever but but it definitely was our longest recording session i would say um when it came to the art was there was the original idea to have the footnotes for each of the record for each of the songs or was that something you were inspired to do by someone by like something else like was there someone that you maybe saw do that and you're like oh i like this idea or did it feel like you just wanted to explain where you were coming from and needed to have that be a part of the the art yeah i think as a i would say chaos was the first record where i felt like i had come into my own sort of style of lyric writing um and i had sort of these ideas about how I wanted to present things and the sort of subject matter I wanted to present. Um, and it started evolving as we were moving forward. And I was getting in this situation where I, you know, we have these short songs, right? And um, you can't fit a ton in there. And it's, and some of it's almost sort of impressionistic. And, and I, I had a lot of experience with people, you know, it's, obviously like once the art is out there, it's yours and you can interpret it any way you want. But I was having these feelings that people were not like understanding what I was trying to do sometimes or which may be misguided, but I, I just had that feeling. So I think I just wanted to have this, I wanted to be like hammering stuff home a little bit more. And this is a thing that translated into Panthers too. It was, it was that concept was something that I wanted to expand on. Um, like basically be like very clear about where I stand on yeah. sort of things or think about stuff. Um, I don't think I would do it again, uh, yeah. but I, I like how it came out. I, I 100% understand how you're feeling. Like I, I, I love the aspect of once you put something out there, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Like it's great to hear people's interpretations of things, but I think there's also a thing, especially when you're younger, where if there's enough people like, to you getting it wrong and talking to you about it while getting it wrong. There's like an aspect where you're like, now I feel like I need to explain this more. Like I, I want to make yeah. sure that, that I am crystal fucking clear about where I'm coming from. And I could see that being a motivator for sure. Yeah. And you forget sometimes people, I don't think, and I certainly, I certainly don't think this should affect the way people make art. And I think it did affect me to a certain degree, but you know, some people are just not going to get it. Yeah. Um, some people are, don't, they're not, they don't have like, they're not the most, <laughs> it's just some things will, are going to maybe fly over someone's head or, or yeah. they're not going to get the tone of something or, you know, um, and, and that's just something you have to be at peace with, I think. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I just found myself being frustrated by the fact that everyone didn't, uh, everyone couldn't understand what I'm trying to do <laughs> here. Man, right. Come on. I, and uh, I don't even know. I don't even know if that was really the case. There was just, you know, there's, there's all those like, it was like, you know, early stages of internet it was people interpreting the lyrics or people talking. And I, I just remember it driving me nuts. I mean, you know, from a fan standpoint, I think the, one of the f most fun aspects of that record for me as a fan was like, 
oh, this guy does not like his fan base. And this guy is like mad and he's reacting to all of these sort of things. Or like, um, you know, it, it, it felt like a very reactionary record um, between songs, yeah, it was. between the songs of like, you know, like, you know, we don't have t-shirts or like, you know, the comment about like not fetishizing vinyl and like all of these sorts of things, which I, I found really entertaining. And I was like, this is fucking cool. Like, I, I, like the anti-chaos is me sort of energy. Um, was there something specifically that you were reacting to? Was it just like an overall frustration? Yeah. I mean, we had been like, you know, we toured a lot. Yeah. And um, every time there was a break in school, we toured. Uh, and yeah. And, and I would be the person, but I'd play the show that I'd run behind the merch booth selling the merch. So I had a lot of interactions with people. Yeah. Um, I can't help but think also like you thinking about you as a young kid listening to the, to a song like merchandise in your headphones as you're mowing the lawn and then like that seeping in and sort of becoming this sort of early DNA with like how you ended up, you know, singing about that stuff sort of later on. Well, we would have people show up and just buy like run over, like buy t-shirts and records and don't, they don't stay for the show. Oh my God. Like there, there, there'd be stuff like that that would happen that way. I just was like, I don't, we certainly, we all are, we're all vinyl collectors we loved doing like the, like we did like every size vinyl you could probably do basically. Yeah. And like the skull shaped vinyl and all that stuff. And we know that they were limited, like, like all that stuff was not by accident. So I certainly, I'm a collector of, of vinyl. Um, so I, I, I get it, but there was this kind of thing where I'm like, it, it just started to feel a little bit like maybe not great, you know? And it was like the resale market had kind of just started and all that. Totally. Stuff. Um, and yeah, I think I was just burnt. I was like burnt out on, on playing these shows and these bands. And then also having, I felt like people had sort of an idea about who I was without really knowing me particularly well. And yeah. I was, you know, I was 22 or something and I was just like, fuck this shit. I, you know, I, I got, I just got tired of it. And, the, um, and yeah, I, I think there was just some anger there and we knew we were done was the other thing when we made that record, like we had decided before we recorded that that was the band was over after this. Um, so that was kind of it too. It was sort of like, it was like, I'm out of here. Like, see you later. Um, uh, I, I completely understand everything you're coming, you know, like everything you're saying, like, I understand, like, yeah, you make all this cool shit. You want to make art with your friends. You want to have these like cool, um, you know different variants or like tour covers and things like that because that's what inspired the things that you guys were all into so i understand wanting to do that and then i also understand the frustration of like someone basically taking advantage of that uh with bad intentions so like i understand the response completely for that um that makes a lot of sense to me and also at that age it's like you have so much to prove so i get it you know what i'm saying well yeah there's there's this kind of there's this hubris of youth that i think is a beautiful thing um where you really do feel like you can do anything and there's no boundaries. And, and um, I, I think that that is like a, that's a wonderful thing. And that's why young people create such exciting art. Yeah. Um, and I also have always been this kind of born contrarian. Like I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I love being difficult. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I think, I think that was part of it too, where, you know, we started people's, 
as we gained popularity, the more I wanted to be like, fuck, fuck this, you. you know? Yeah. 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 Which is, it's, it's a very dumb way to be, but that, that is how I felt at the time. Um, you know, you mentioned that the band had already decided it was wrapping up when you were doing the gatefold recording and things like that. Um, how long after the release of that record did you guys stick around? Like, did you guys, were you like, we're going to at least do a full U.S. tour after this? Or like, we're going to play enough shows or was it pretty quickly after? Because I know the Panthers, the Panthers record was like a year later, the first one. Yeah, it was, that was overlapping. Like, we, I was in New York at the time. Uh, all the Jeffs, both of the Jeffs were in New York also. Uh, so we were doing Panthers kind of simultaneously. Oh, uh, okay. But we... Um, yeah, I think we we had decided that we would do like a series of final shows, uh, but that was all, only the East Coast. Oh, okay. So we did um, Providence, um, New York, the church at Phil- in Philly, and then we did um, two shows at, at Harvard. It was supposed okay. to be one, but it was it was a small room and it was too many people, so we did two shows <laughs> in a row. Nice. Um... I don't know if I know this. Did you guys do much European touring? Yeah, we did. We toured okay. Europe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How was yeah. your first European tour? I don't know. I think we, I think we only did, it was in 2001, I believe. Okay. Um, it was awesome. I mean, it was fucking great. Yeah. We, we were all as has been probably widely reported. <laughs> um, we are, we are all very big, uh, German hardcore fans. This okay. label Perkuro out of Bremen uh, had bands like Sistral and Morser. We we're all like big Acme fans. Acme, um, yeah. Carol. I mean, you know, these are all big kind of influences on this kind of stuff we played. Yeah. So we did, I mean, we played, we played a ton in Germany. Um, we played uh, this amazing, this crazy squat that was in Copenhagen. And then right after we were done, it was shut down by the police permanently oh, that's why they had the, the festival it was a huge riot in the city jesus we it was i mean it was pretty i mean i don't know it was great it was just great i yeah I, it was my first time going to almost all of these places and uh yeah i think we did we i think we toured europe twice okay i'm pretty sure we did but um yeah like playing at pra in prague just it was just awesome yeah, yeah. Yeah, was that was that by you by yourself and you just like hopped on like locals and yeah. all of these places? Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um. So then, when the band breaks up, like, so, so you mentioned that Panthers was already happening at the exact same time. What was the drive? Because it was three of you from Orchid that was in Panthers. Right? Yeah. What was yeah. the what was sort of the genesis of that? Was it like, we want to, we want to specifically do this kind of a band and this is how we're going to start writing these songs. Cause I feel like almost that, that are you down release? Um, and then like, as the band went on, like it, it sounded like it formed a little bit more direct, like straightforward rock when it, to where it started, it was a little bit more angular. Um, what was the drive going into that band? Like, what were you trying to accomplish? Well, we, we were on tour of the Red Scare. Orchid was on tour of the Red Scare, and um, Kip was talking about moving to Brooklyn. And um, so, you know, I, I wanted to start a band. I just wanted to have a band because when we were in Orchid, we were in all of us were in like a million other bands. We were always like we would have a, a bill. Orchid would play at like UMass, and like 
every band on the bill would have one of us in it. You know? <laughs> right. And so we always were like the idea of having side projects and doing like we 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 all did that and it just seemed normal. So being in New York, I was like I should have I need to have a band in New York, and um, and so Kip wanted to do it and then I I met Justin Cherno from uh, Turing Machine, um, who's long time just one of my great friends. Um, he was excited to play. And I had like a kind of a general idea for what I wanted it to be like. And I, I remember Kip and I kind of talking about it a little bit. Um, although I think with a lot of these projects, you know, my personal politics and stuff, I'm not sure that it's representative of everybody in the band, obviously, but no one, I, I certainly would make sure to, if anybody was kind of perturbed by it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would. But, um, but yeah, I wanted something that was very, very like directly outwardly I was really into, you know, groups like the Weather Underground and uh, the obviously the Situationist movement and um, just a lot of the super radical leftist, yeah, borderline like terrorist groups. Yeah. Um, so I was fascinated with that and the, how direct the messaging was. Um, you know, the way they used graffiti and and uh, the manifestos, like the language in those. I just was I found really kind of intoxicating I, I was obsessed with it so I wanted to do a band this is what I thought I was doing it was like a, <laughs> I thought I was doing I wanted to do like an mc5 kind of like rock and roll band that anybody could get into but the lyrics were super politicized yeah that's not that's not what came out of the wash but sure. that's sort of what my that was that was my idea yeah that's I mean that's a great pedigree you know like yeah, at least yeah. at least in your brain <laughs> so well i think but i think i think most most good art comes from someone trying to do something else but being too weird to pull it off like the ramones like thought they were the beatles you know what i mean <laughs> or you know stanley kubrick wanted to be like steven spielberg but he's such a freak like he, he, yeah like it doesn't come out right it doesn't come out right. I th so that's what I, I i think that there is something to that like having some strong influences but not really having the ability to pull it off exactly right and so something interesting kind of comes out of it um this is a question that i'm 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 very curious of is so i'm always fascinated when someone who is used to or a band you know members or whatever are used to a certain sort of crowd reaction right like especially towards the end of orchid you're like have people knowing all the words you know they're playing a lot of floor shows it's pretty chaotic all of that sort of stuff you switch gears to do more of a rock thing was it a hard adjustment to all of a sudden be not playing those kind of audiences, you know, or like not having the audience react in the same sort of way. Um, I think about this, like, <clears throat> like when Wes started cold cave after American nightmare, it's like, I can imagine that's a jarring shift because now you're not playing to an audience that's jumping off the stage all, the entire time. It's like, so when you make that sonic shift, was it a difficult transition or were you just, you adapted? Well, I think, I mean, I, I, I think there is something purposeful about, I, I didn't expect to have a similar reaction, but also it was a really exciting time in Brooklyn, in New York in general, in music. There was like a lot of like liars, yeah, yeah, yeahs. Um, you know, there was uh, TV on the radio was getting started. It was just like a really vibrant time and a lot of cool bands and, uh, you know, and the shows were exciting and people were pat it was the shows were always full and people were having fun and um 
so it was just a different thing. Uh, and a different, I, a different I mean, kind of energy in the room. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it was it was kind of nice to feel like we were. I was, you know, like we can play on a stage and not have to be, you know, stressed out about it. You know, <laughs> I, I, all all that stuff. I I mean, I liked, and it, it was this kind of, you know, it was a different. You know, we you know we we got on, we did the the record on Dimock, and then we got signed to Vice, and then. Um, and everything was just a little bit more like, oh, we're like, this is my job now. Like I have a, totally. I'm in a band that's like, yeah, it just was a different thing. Were you working at Vice ever? Am I getting this wrong? Did you, did you write for them or work for them? Well, right when I got to New York, a guy that I went to college with, his name is Jesse Pearson, um, who has an amazing podcast, by the way, called The Apology Podcast. He's, uh, he was the editor at Vice when okay. I got to, he's a couple years, he's a couple years older than me. And when I got there, he offered me to write um, music reviews. Okay. So I did. I wrote some music reviews under aliases for Vice <laughs> for a little while. Um, yeah, yeah. That, and then, and then after like a couple of years ago, I did some stuff for the Noisy Channel as well. Okay. Oh my god! I can't, yeah. I, I was working at a record shop at the time, and we would get the vice magazine delivered to us and God, the music, the, the album reviews just had us laughing so hard all the time. There were so many great ones. I remember one specifically, I think Lenny Kravitz had put out a record and the review was just the person saying they were trying to set up a time and place to fist fight Lenny Kravitz. (laughs) (laughs) Just like had me rolling. It was just the best thing. Um, but, it's so uh, hard to explain to people what it was like and like how different it was. Oh my god. And so how, how different vice was perceived back then. Yes, no. I uh, can imagine. Yeah. Um I was curious no, I guess I was asking you that question because I was curious how close you were and if it was ever like a conflict of interest then having records put out on that label. Like was that ever was that a thing of stress or was it more of a thing of excitement just knowing that you knew the people involved or like knew what to expect, et cetera? Nobody knew none of like the like Sarush who signed us um he didn't know that I he had no idea I wrote reviews for Vice oh okay so it was like yeah I mean it was I would just like hand stuff in to Jesse and like yeah um and that that ended well before uh but you know we were we we practiced in the same building as the old Vice offices um we in the basement we shared a practice space with Black Dice and Avi Ter and Panda Bear and the rapture i think wow yeah. but um very of the time uh, for sure yeah yeah uh yeah so no it was yeah no that that there wasn't really an issue with that okay of it. cool cool um when so then that band broke up in what 2008 is that it like 2008 2009 ish probably we did a we did a tour with um high on fire and that was the last oh wow the last tour that's sick yeah um it was when Blessed Black Wings came out that record. So okay, whatever that was. Then into it look if you know timeline based on like looking at releases and things like that. In 2012, it looked like you had Ritual Mess and Violent Bullshit at the same time. Is that fair to say? Did both those bands start around the same time? No, Violent Bullshit came first. Violent Bullshit was like kind of my response to being in Panthers and kind of dealing with that kind of style of touring and recording and releasing records. I just wanted to do something that had like zero 
pressure, uh-huh. zero expectations. Yeah. The initial idea was that we would only play birthday parties. We <laughs> <laughs> we never played. We we basically we did one tour that was a disaster, but we because you play like we, fun 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 fest, right? Yeah. 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 We did, but we never left Brooklyn. Otherwise, we just played Brooklyn. Okay. In Manhattan, and um, yeah, it was meant to just be like just complete fun with friends. I mean, and that's why it lasted as long as it did. Cause it just was like, it was just fun and we all liked each other and it was, and it was, you know, we'd play shows in Brooklyn and people would go crazy and it was fun. You know? Yeah. And, um, and it was like a me- ritual mess. A lot of, a lot of members of in that thing too. It's like one of the people was in like La Salve Fave and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. He's <laughs> that's Andrew. Who's yeah. he's in my new band, the, the jerk as well. Oh, cool. Andrew Royland. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, Dan, our drummer, used to play in Black Army Jacket and Hail Mary back in the day. Half Man, another band he was in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So they were all that, like just my neighborhood friends. Was that the first, you know, quote unquote punk hardcore band that you did post Panthers? And was it that kind of the inspiration to like, I'm ex- I missed doing this, so I'm excited to do it again kind of a thing? Yeah, Violent Bullshit was first. And then, uh, and then Will had recorded these three songs um, with this guy, James, who he toured with, who's from Australia. And uh, they didn't have anyone to do vocals. So he just reached out and he said, are you interested? Yeah. And he sent me the songs and I liked the songs. And so I said, yeah. And I recorded them in my apartment in Brooklyn and we put out the seven inch. And then that gentleman, James, was coming to visit. And so... The idea was broached that maybe we try to record something while he's in town. And so those guys recorded an LP. And then I came up later and went to Will's place, did all the vocals in a day. Then that's Ritual Mess. Did Ritual Mess play shows? No. I was curious of that. Yeah. I mean, I remember just like the, the all of a sudden discovering that that band existed where it's like, wait a minute, I get most of Orchid and also members of Ampere. Like, this is this is everything yeah. I want right now. This is so exciting. <laughs> Yeah, no, we never, we talked about it, but, you know, James is, is from Australia. I, I think I met James once for about 10 minutes. That was like the extent of even. It's so funny knowing. to be in a band with, with someone yeah. who like you. Yeah, yeah you, that's the, the, the depth of the relationship. Seems like a wonderful, seems like a wonderful guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we talked about it, but it, yeah, it never really, it just didn't seem feasible. So we didn't do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So is yeah. this, so these shows coming up with Orchid, is this like the first time you'll be playing with Will since like live really since the end of Orchid? Oh yeah. Yes. I, I, I went up to Will's place with a group of the guys and we, um, we worked through a bunch of stuff sounding really, I was worried about it, but I was like, after that, I was like, Oh, we're, we're good. And then, um, and Jeff is coming. He's in California. He's in LA, yeah. as you know. So he's, going to be flying out in February for the first time to to play with all the guys. I mean, how did it feel even just like hearing those songs in that capacity again? Was that an ex- like an exciting like holy shit? Well, it's funny cuz I was I was so resistant to reuniting for so long. I think we all were. Yeah. And then I I one of the few people I know up in Toronto is Damien from Fucked Up. Mhm. And uh I was hanging out with Damien and he was like, all right, he's like you should do an orchid reunion." And I was like, "No, I don't want to." And he he said, he's like, do you like those guys still? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. He's like, do you like the songs? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so what's the problem? And I remember being like, huh. <laughs> like, that's a good point. You're right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty wild to play them in a room, like, 
20 years later. Right. Um, and it still felt pretty ferocious. What also is in your favor is the fact that you've all been playing music. You know what I'm saying? It's it's. I think there's a difference in these situations also where it's like people who haven't played music in 20 years and then they try to dust off, dust it off. But like the fact that Will never stopped, you know, like you never stopped. Like I think that yeah. there, Jeff never stopped. You know, it's like there's, I think you have that in your favor, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Will's got his own studio. He's got four closets full of pedals. So I think he's, he's ready to go. <laughs> Um, this has been, this has been fucking uh, a lot of fun. And I, I really, really appreciate you giving me your time. Um, I want to hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? Uh, I guess there's like two moments. One would be when we got the LP, when we got chaos, when I like had it in my hands and played it for the first time and we were on evolution. I just couldn't believe it. You know? I think that was like such a, to me, that was like, you know, it's like being signed to a major, you know, I, I just, I really felt so proud of that. Um, so that was, that was one. And I, something I never thought I would do. Right. Uh, and then I think when we played more than music fest um, and the reaction was just so crazy. Uh, and we had uh, that day Usurp Synapse played earlier and they made t-shirts that said chaos is us <laughs> and they play. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Like the idea that we'd be worth even, you know, like doing a, that like too, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and then it was just, it was just, the, the set was really chaotic because we had to play on the stage because there's so many people, but then I invited people on the stage. Where was that festival? Ohio. Oh, okay. Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was just complete chaos. Like I couldn't see the other band members. It was just, it was nuts. But then I was like, oh, people like this. Like this yeah. is, that was when I real, I, it kind of sunk into me that people cared about it. Um, yeah, I'd say those are the, those are like kind of the two, the two big ones. It's amazing. Sure. I, man, these shows coming up are going to be really something i don't mean to to compare just because there's like you know correlation between the bands but um i mean the react like watching knowing all the seisha guys like i I got to put out their their discography and like knowing those guys and like knowing how against and how hard it was to get them all in a room together to like play and then when they finally did and then getting to watch their first shows back and hearing how fucking good they sounded and then also seeing so many young people that would have never had the opportunity to see them and just like watching all of that for them was like so exciting. And just like from an outside perspective, watching these reactions and like getting to play to people and like sizes to rooms that they never had in the, ch- in the past. Like um, I, I just know it's going to be the coolest shit in the entire world for you guys. And I, I just can't wait to watch. I just can't wait. Oh, thanks man. I hope, I hope so. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jason for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was produced, edited, and made to sound so good by my boy Ryan Rainbow. And hey, don't forget, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, 
You can also find the link in the episode description. Subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that bonus episode plus all the other stuff. All right, that is it for me. I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye.